trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, whether you're a longtime wrong thinker or just dipping your toe into the water to see if it's, uh, you know, right for you. First of all, thanks for taking a chance and listening to this program. I speak a message of freedom, not that I have all the answers and not that I'm here to tell you what to think, but the message of freedom I have is, is this. Thinking clearly and independently is the most important thing that you and I can do, especially during times of crisis. And you don't have to have too much of imagination to look around us and see that, yeah, there may be a little bit of crisis afoot. But it's all about seeing things clearly, not being manipulated, not being led about by your emotions. And to that end, I try to give you the best information I can find and leave it up to you to make up your mind as to what to do with it. This much I know, we've got our hands full, and we're going to dive headfirst into it here in just a few moments. I have to start on kind of a bittersweet note today, and, you know, I, I have my friend Kent Forbush has hiked the Camino uh, Santiago a number of times. This is like a 550-mile pilgrimage that people walk in Spain, and it's, it's I guess it's its most literal translation is this is the, the, the road that uh, St. James traveled back in in New Testament days. And I remember the first time he did this, you know, he came back from it and it's it's a long, long journey. They do it all by foot. But he says it's it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's like you you have a different sunrise every morning. It's it's always a treat because you're never in the same place twice. Well, Kent and his wife Debbie went to hike the Camino uh, this year. Unfortunately, he was having some knee problems. And so uh, Debbie ended up doing the hiking, and he was uh, making arrangements to go ahead and meet her. And I just got word last night uh, from the Southern Utah Shooting Sports uh, uh, Federation, actually the Shooting Sports Park, um, Glenn Wong had posted that Kent apparently passed away in his sleep while in Spain walking the Camino Santiago Trail. And for, for my listeners in Southern Utah... This is uh, this is a guy who left a real mark on the community. And I mean the right kind of mark. Master leather worker. Um, I have belts. I have holsters. I have, I have uh, you know, what are they called? Coasters. You know, to set my drink on that, that Kent made. And I love that he would share the things that were best in his life with the people around him. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm sad to see him go. But at the same time, here's the bittersweet part of it. You want to see an example of a life well lived? Okay, Kent Forbush was a great example of that. He's uh, he's the guy who introduced me to Tuesday Night Steel at the Southern Utah Shooting Sports Park, and it just was so much fun. So the shooting community in Southern Utah, as well as many others, are going to be feeling that loss for a while. Um, I know it's cliche when people say, well, he went doing what he loved. Kent really did love hiking that uh, Camino Santiago Trail. That there There was such purpose in that and so while it's it's sad to to bid him a farewell um man i count myself so fortunate to to be one of his friends and you know until that day can't till we meet again thanks so much for your influence on, on my life and so many other lives all right 
Sorry. Though I don't I don't mean to start out and, and like I said, I didn't mean for this to be a bummer, but uh, just disappointed to to learn that uh, my friend has has graduated. And uh, well, I'll just dive in here. I'm ready. I, my sleeves are rolled up. But part of this has to do with yesterday I had the opportunity to attend the uh, Southern Idaho Freedom Festival. And uh, Ammon Bundy came and spoke. And this was this time I actually got a chance to sit and visit with him for a little bit. Um, I just I just love this guy for his willingness to to speak the truth, even when it's unpopular, and not to try to soft pedal it and sugarcoat it. Well, is there a way we can make this easier? But to lean into it when it needs to be said. And I think right now he is one of the very few candidates out there that is delivering that message without apology. So you can guess what that does, you know, in terms of the mainstream media and, and of course, the establishment politicians. Well, that's dangerous. That's extremist. This is terrible. And, and he's very threatening to them because he threatens to upset their death grip on power that they have enjoyed for decades, for generations. And I know not everybody is in favor of liberty, but, man, I'm telling you, when you, when you see people who, who make liberty a priority and are willing to step up and suffer for their beliefs— it's worthwhile. And it also points to a truth that I know is very unpopular, but it has to be said, and this is the truth. The authorities are our enemies. I know. Brian, wow, how can you say such a thing? Okay, I won't say such a thing, but I will share with you a commentary from James Howard Kunstler that says this. And I think he makes the case pretty well. He says, the people who run things in this country don't deserve your respect or allegiance. They are at war with you. They want you and your children dead. He says, welcome to the new age where authority has no authority and does not deserve to act with any authority, but will act as if it does anyway and then lie to you about it. Nowhere is this quandary more vivid than in the racketeering operation formerly known as medicine. He says, as if there's not already been enough official effery over the lab-birthed COVID-19 virus. The CDC's Vaccine Advisory Committee voted on Thursday to add Pfizer's and Moderna's mRNA shots to its childhood vaccine schedule. The vote was 15 to 0, a final supreme gesture of contempt for the people of this land. Had none of the committee members seen reports of mRNA-vaccinated children dropping dead from myocarditis induced by the vaccines or read about the effect of the vaccines on the reproductive organs or the enhanced incidence of cancer? or heard about the damage that the shots instigate in human immune systems. If not, that would be astounding, because the news is all over the place, if not in the mainstream media. Was any of this discussed in their deliberations? James Howard Kunstler says, I don't think so, but we may never know. Adding the mRNA shots to the official vaccine schedule will make permanent the liability shield their makers enjoy under the current emergency use authorization. Pfizer and Moderna are now off the hook for any responsibility unless fraud over the vaccines is proven in a court of law. Given the vast evidence of harms done by these products, will that be a difficult thing to do? Consider, cases for fraud can be brought in any jurisdiction of the USA, not just in the notoriously corrupt federal D.C. District Court, which does not recognize crime for what it is, crime. So he says this is the first time that a pharmaceutical under a UEA has been an uh, sorry an AE let's try that again an EUA has been admitted to the childhood vaccine schedule 
Now, the Vaccine Advisory Committee said it was okay because it consulted with the Department of Justice's Office of General Counsel, and the lawyers there said it was okay. So one might ask, is it within the purview of the DOJ's Justice or Office of uh, General DOJ's Office of General Counsel to review the medical criteria for such a decision? The answer must be no. How are they qualified? You may be certain they did not parse the drug trial data on the mRNA products or study the official reports of deaths and injuries. In short, they know nothing. Their authority in the matter is vacated. And since many states and localities go by the CDC's vaccine guidelines, as well as pediatricians, then millions of children will be required to get the shots to attend school. So the CDC has not only put an as-yet-untold number of kids on the road to disability, infertility, and death, but it may have coincidentally destroyed public schooling in America. The so-called uptake on our mRNA shots for children has been paltry. Parents do not want their kids to get the shots. Do you know why? Well, James Howard Kunstler says, I'll tell you, because unlike the experts who sit on the CDC's Vaccine Advisory Committee, many parents have actually read about the serious adverse reactions in young people who get the shots. And many more have heard enough horrifying rumors, despite the criminal delinquency of the major news media, in ignoring any negative news about the vaxes, prompting these parents to steer clear of vaxing their children. Other countries have officially and altogether discontinued mRNA vaxes for children. Do you think that's for no reason? If the schools require mRNA shots, then many parents will not send their kids to these schools. Now, parents have plenty of other reasons to want to withdraw their kids from public schools, not the least pervasive race and gender hustle hustle that's replacing actual pedagogy in in this country. The schools are now hostage to Marxist lunatics, launched from colleges and universities that are likewise captured by Marxist lunatics. They seek to overturn Western civilization and its long train of accomplishments in discovering how the world works. They seek to replace all that with a set of wishful fairy tales that don't comport with reality. Why would any sane parent subject their child to such a wicked regime? Might this not provoke a rebellion against paying the exorbitant school taxes all across America? I'm going to have to finish this up in the next segment. But uh, you know what? As, as, As inappropriate as it may seem, the idea that the authorities are our enemies... It needs to be said. James Howard Kunstler isn't wrong on this one. We'll continue right after this break. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out here to Garage Door Pros. You can check out their website at garagedoorproservices.com. This is especially for my listeners in Southern Utah, St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City. If you need installation service or repair of garage doors, whether it's commercial or residential, talk to my friends at Garage Door Pros. Call them at 435-525-2773. Better still, go to their website. You get a lot of information there at garagedoorproservices.com. And when you do business with them or when you refer someone to them, do me this favor and tell them, I heard about you because I was listening to Brian's show. Let them know that their message reached your ears. All right. Last couple of thoughts here from James Howard Kunstler, who says, and I think rightfully says, the authorities are our enemies. 
He says that, it, look, people are catching on. And this is, this is, I think you're starting to catch some hints of this. There's a bit of a groundswell of, of uh, grassroots opinion of people going, you know what? We've been lied to. We've been pushed around. We have been mandated into a corner where we don't want to be. Screw this. You know, we're going to withdraw our consent. This is very threatening to the people who are in authority. They want to pretend they're looking for another crisis. I know that sounds cynical, but they are looking for another crisis by which they can say, oh, well, see, emergency, now you have to do what we say. Trust me, they're coming up with a doozy, but we don't have to go along. So here's what James Howard Kunstler says. Beneath all of this mess that we see around us lies this subterranean flow of enormous sums of money to the pharma companies that virtually own the U.S. public health bureaucracy. Anthony Fauci's minions dispersed among the various agencies under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, plus those in the ancillary CDC, have been pulling hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in royalties from patents associated with the mRNA products. And they've continued to haul in that swag during the three-year fracas over the bad faith origins of COVID-19 and the deceitful introduction of these so-called vaccines, which do not stop the transmission of the disease and prevent man- present rather manifold dangers to those who take them. So his conclusion is this. Everything the authorities tell you all about this is a lie. They are turning desperate because the time is at hand when they will actually have to answer for their crimes against the people of this country. They don't deserve your respect and they surely can't command your compliance. Those are strong words. Some people might say, my goodness, they're revolutionary. They are strong words because we live in a time where strong words are needed in order to get the truth out there. And by the way, I've seen this just in the last week. Um, in my home state of Idaho, there is a, there's a senator who is running, I guess there's a candidate who is running for a Senate seat. He has served in the legislature before. But uh, the news article makes him out to be a crazy man. Why? Because he says, we need to have Nuremberg-style trials and hearings about what was done to the populace in the name of COVID. And of course, well, that's an extreme thing. Why, that's, that's what we did to Nazis for their war crimes. And the, the mainstream media, the legacy press, can't make the connection. These were also crimes against humanity. Okay, you don't have to have somebody with a funny mustache goose-stepping around and bossing people around to have tyranny. Now, that's not something they want to acknowledge. They certainly don't want that accountability. And, and it's interesting, his opponent, who I guess is the incumbent for this particular legislative seat, when, when the press reported on, on what his opponent had to say, the opponent was, well, I'd like to focus on school buildings and, and, and mental health care and, and goodies that the government can give you. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Of course you want to portray government as, as like a candy store for anybody who has any wish, any desire that needs to be met as opposed to a big, clumsy, mentally impaired toddler with nothing but brute force to make its will happen. Because that's really what government is more like. And that's exactly how it behaved with these COVID lockdowns. I can understand why the people in authority don't want to face accountability for what they did. Because for some of them, it could very likely end up in a very lengthy prison term. I don't know. Some of this stuff might be serious enough, and I'm just, you know, just floating this, but if, if, we, if it turns out that COVID was, in fact, created in a lab with the funding and help of the National Institutes of Health, and it's looking a lot like that was the case, 
I mean, you might be talking that uh, that's a crime against humanity that would end up with a Nuremberg-style ending. Now, please understand, I'm not wishing for that kind of thing, but I'm saying that's how serious it is. At the very least, these people cannot be trusted with power. So the options are, are, you know, for us, the options are, look, either take that power from them, remove it by withdrawing our consent, or otherwise find a way to permanently separate ourselves from them. Never allow them to exercise any authority in our lives again. Does it sound harsh? Not when you consider what was done and also what some of these individuals openly seem to have planned for us. Gosh, that's, I mean, this, this is probably the most radical I think I've ever sounded, especially, you know, so early on in the day. But, but my goodness, it's true. Look at the way that the ruling class treats you. And I'm talking from, from the very beginning. When you deign to enter into one of their buildings, just I'm going to say a federal courthouse, for instance, the intimidation game begins the second you step in the door. You cannot have an electronic device of any kind. You cannot get in without ID. You have to do this. You have to do that. If you so much as say, really? Watch for the aggression. Yes, really. You know, they, they want you intimidated. They want you to understand who is in charge. That's not somebody coming from a position of strength or somebody coming from a position where really they're looking out for your best interests. That is someone who is scared of appearing weak. And who knows that if you ever caught on to uh, some of the dirty stuff that they're doing to you right now, you would withdraw your consent in a heartbeat. You see it when school board meetings, you know, are challenged with, I, I saw this one of a parent who uh, started to read a book that was in his school's library, made available to kids. I, I'm not even going to tell you the title of it because it, this would not pass FCC muster. But it, essentially, it was, a, it was a book on, you know, how to perform oral sex. And this guy apologizes, but he says, I'm just going to read this to you, and you need to understand, this is available in my kid's library. Why? And the stuff he was reading, oh, my word. I don't blush easily. I have a potty mouth, and I will, you know, unfortunately, it comes out when I'm stressed, but I was just shocked. And the school board sits there, and they squirm, but they try to justify. No, 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 it's important the kids have access to this kind of thing. And how far will they go to justify it? Well, in the case of uh, some school boards, and, and at least the school board, the National School Board Association, they went so far as to petition the Department of Justice to treat these parents who would protest against such things and call them into question like terrorists. Okay, long story short, the people in authority treat you as if you are a threat. They want to know everything about you. They want to know how to get into your bank account. They want to know exactly what you've been up to, who you've been talking to, what you're thinking about. They want to take away guns in the name of safety. Are you starting to see the pattern here? They fear you because if they can't keep you hoodwinked, if they can't keep you on their narrative, they know that there's going to come a point where the people are going to say enough and they're going to put their foot down. I don't know what happens when we realize, you know, we have been painted into a corner. But I feel strongly like the moment is coming when enough people are going to recognize this, that they're going to put their foot down and say, that's it. We go no further. And I wonder if this, uh, you know, putting the, putting the, the COVID vaccine into the required vaccines for kids to attend school. 
I don't know how many people care about this enough that they would pull their kids out of school. I suspect this is going to be a great uh, sifter of who's serious and who isn't. But if enough parents start pulling their kids out, I would watch for states to start getting more and more draconian with their truancy enforcement. Because after all, public schools, it's the only institution by law that you are required under threat of force to send your kids off to those schools. I believe that is true in every single state. There are truancy laws that make it a requirement. I don't know. Changes in the wind. Will it be good? Will it be bad? I guess that's something you and I have some say in. So let's let's put our best efforts forward. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, a quick shout out here to MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and also HSLAmmo.com. By the way, if you go to my website, The Brian Hyde Show, you'll notice that I do have a, uh, I have an affiliate sponsor, and this is Borelli USA. And they sell well, they sell shooting stuff. They sell, you know, gun cleaning stuff, uh, cases, magazines, ammo, all kinds of different stuff. Anyway, they have some great daily specials. You go on the website, you'll see some of those. They pop up in the banners. Well worth your time if you are into the shooting sports. Take a look at what they have to offer, and I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. So, got a bunch of stuff I need to cover here in the next couple of segments. Uh, one I want to start with. Why are so many voters headed to the polls with vengeance in their eyes? Got a great article here from Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute. And he says it's very simple. It's because the elected officials who've promoted the failed mandates and lockdowns have yet to say that they're sorry. Jeffrey Tucker says it's been more obvious, more than obvious, actually, since April of 2020, that lockdowns were far too costly for individuals in society and could never earn a rational public health defense. And the evidence was rolling in from one year later that the vaccine mandates were similarly indefensible. Both tactics had in common the enormous use of state coercion that flew in the face of every principle of civilized government. As we are constantly told, both people and government were panicked and needlessly so. As it turns out, the infection fatality rate was not 2 to 3%, as the World Health Organization said early on, or even 1%, as Fauci told the Senate in March of 2020, but rather 0.035% for anyone under the age of 60, which is 94% of the population. Now, COVID has been highly transmissible, and with it the resulting protection of natural immunity. The correct policy should have been to maintain all social and market functioning the actual vulnerable population protected itself as it awaited widespread immunity. That's how every generation for a hundred years has handled infectious disease as a medical, not a political matter. In other words, politicians and officials the world over made enormous, obvious errors, just not later, but from the outset. This is really not worth arguing anymore, he says. The evidence is now two and a half years deep. Insisting on 85% coverage because of an, of an ineffective vaccine was also an egregious error because people are not stupid. They knew they did not need this vaccine, especially since it protects not against infection or transmission, and its approval bypassed all normal standards of clinical trials. So here's the question. Where are the apologies? 
He says, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Faced with enormous failure, the machinery that did this to us has generally refused to say the simple word. It's the hardest thing for people with power to admit their fallibility. Even though the whole world knows what they did and vast and increasing numbers are aware of the utter failure, the political class still insists on living in a fantasy land of its own creation. Now, there are some exceptions. This may surprise you. Prime Minister Imra Khan apologized for lockdowns in April of 2020, saying, uh, Ramazan Mubarak to Muslims across the world, we in Pakistan must use this holy month to ask Allah for forgiveness in neglecting the poor and vulnerable in our society. We as a nation have been elite-centric in our policies with no thought for these people, including in the pandemic, when we sought a total lockdown without thinking about the consequences for the daily wage earners, the street vendors, the laborers, all of whom face poverty and hunger for themselves and their families. May Allah forgive us our sin of neglecting our poor and dispossessed citizens. Now, Ron DeSantis of Florida has repeatedly said the lockdowns were an enormous mistake and will never happen again so long as he's in charge. That's very close to being an apology, though many residents are still awaiting the magic word. Also in 2020, Norway's Prime Minister Erna Solberg went on Norwegian television to say that she and others panicked and took many of the decisions out of fear. That's close to being an apology. And Jeffrey Tucker says, as far as I know, that's about it. Until yesterday... The new premier of Alberta, Alberta, Canada, Danielle Smith, has offered an apology to Albertans who were discriminated against because of their COVID vaccination status. I'm deeply sorry for any government employee that lost their job, and I welcome them back if they want to come back. Glory be, says Jeffrey Tucker, that's what we were looking for. Not just from a few, but from all. The near absence of such apologies is driving the massive political realignment the world over as furious voters demand admission of wrongdoing and justice for the victims. Unfortunately, they are not forthcoming, and therefore the anger is only rising. The storm clouds are gathering around the impossibly arrogant Anthony Fauci with a new hit movie making the rounds and a judge demanding that Fauci be deposed in a powerful lawsuit filed against his hypercritical collusion with social media companies to censor the truth. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Fauci actually says, well, I'll maybe consider testifying, you know, or going before this committee sometime next year. Really? I think maybe you should get the uh, the Bannon treatment. Straight to jail, buddy. Contempt of Congress? Hey, man, if it's sauce for the goose, it's sauce for the gander. Get in the paddy wagon, Mr. Dr. Fauci. Sorry, about stripped him of his rank there. So Jeffrey Tucker says, look, nearly three years into this disaster, the worry that humanity would just accept the outrage and move on is proving unwarranted. That is good news, by the way. People are discovering there is plenty of dissent out there, and it stretches across the partisan divide. The resulting cultural and political realignments will echo long into the future like other major upheavals of the past. Think of the big historical events that echoed for generations in American politics. The struggle over slavery, World War I, Prohibition, the New Deal, World War II, the Cold War. Now, he says, the last one I know well, having come of age in the latter years. In retrospect, the long episode of the Cold War was packed with mythology. Still, the struggle was expressed in ideological terms of freedom versus communism. And the alliances that lined up remained for decades and impacted cycle after cycle of political controversy at home and abroad. 
but for strange reasons of timing and loss of principle, the woke left found itself mixed up in lockdown politics and then the vaccine mandate. Many of them lined up with policies that violate the very rights they spent decades defending. So much for the Bill of Rights, the freedom of movement, the appreciation for the classless society, bodily autonomy, and so on. The left lost its soul during these years and thereby alienated multitudes of sane lefties who watched in horror as their own tribe abandoned them in favor of the authoritarianism they had long decried. Lockdown mandate versus not, this has the capacity to be a theme that will resonate far into the future. It also unites people on the political right again with small business, genuine civil libertarians, and champions of religious liberty. It permits the left to again find its voice for human rights and freedoms. And for that matter, they don't have to be activists. They only need to be people who do not want their houses of worship padlocked, their business closed and bankrupted, their speech curtailed, or their bodily autonomy violated. It also put the emphasis on the correct point. The protection of American liberties, not from some shadowy foreign enemy, but from our own governments. It also draws in the left that has long been suspicious in the play of the place of big business, and in this case, rightfully so. The largest corporations like Google, Amazon, and Meta, or Facebook, for all the good they achieve in this world, have leaned decisively in favor of lockdowns. Same with big media. The reason is not just that they are harmed less by lockdowns, or in many cases, actually benefited from them. It's because the people ruling these companies enjoy ruling class lives. And they see the world through them. Lockdowns were the favored policy for political and cultural reasons, which is itself a scandal. And there's another group of powerful people in a position to dedicate themselves to the anti-lockdown, anti-mandate cause. That would be parents. In an astonishing act of despotic ignorance, governors closed schools down all over the country with zero medical benefit and grotesque levels of abuse for children and parents. Now, these are schools for which people pay heavily in property taxes. While parents using private schools pay twice. Government shut them down, robbing parents of their money and smashing their settled lives. Many children in this country lost two years of education. Family with, with two incomes had to drop one of them in order to babysit their children at home as they pretended to learn on Zoom while being denied access to peers. Then once the schools were operating normally, the CDC approved without evidence the COVID vaccine as an addition to the childhood schedule. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says parents are not this dumb. They will never go for it. They will pull the kids out of public school and into private and homeschooling, causing a real crisis for one of the most settled institutions in American life. Then you have the problem of colleges and universities. Rightly or wrongly, parents and students make extreme financial sacrifices to pay for college in the hopes that the right education and degree sets people up for a lifetime of success. Now, whether this is true or not, Parents are risk-averse with their children's future, so they do whatever's necessary to make it happen. And then one day, the kids were locked out of universities they paid to attend. No parties, no study sessions, no going to other people's rooms, no in-person instruction. Thousands of students in this country have been fined and harassed for non-compliance. Why do people put up with this? The answer is under normal conditions they never would have. None of this would have been possible. The only reason they did this time fear. We'll come back to Jeffrey Tucker's article, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I've been sharing an article from the Brownstone Institute from Jeffrey Tucker. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. And I think he's right because we're not hearing it from virtually any of the people who pushed the lockdowns, pushed the mandates, and continue to assert power over us that's really not theirs in the name of protecting us from the COVID, you know, the COVID uh, virus. Why did we put up with it? Well, Jeffrey says it was fear. It was fear of getting sick or dying or, if not dying, experiencing permanent health effects. And he points out, this emotion can last far longer, longer than one might think. But eventually emotions do catch up with facts, among which is that the danger of severe outcomes was wildly exaggerated and the lockdowns and mandates achieved nothing in terms of disease mitigation. Now think about that for a second. You mean all this suffering and horror was for naught? Yeah, and once that realization dawns, fear turns to anger and anger to action. Now, if you want to understand that dynamic, you can see why the architects of lockdowns from Dr. Fauci to the CDC are doing everything they can to delay that dawning with daily doses of alarmism designed to keep people languishing in fear and ignorance. But Jeffrey Tucker says that fear is breaking. We reflect on all the incredible health theater to which we've been subjected for two and a half years. The hopping around people to stay six feet away, the silly ban on restaurant menus, the on-again, off-again mandatory masking of the people, the curfews and capacity limits, and we'll realize that the people who passed on all these emergency measures were just making things up in order to appear decisive and precise. He says, we will look back and feel mortified at how we treated each other so brutally, how so many turned into rats hungry to get our friends and neighbors in trouble with the compliance police. How we willingly believed so many untrue things and practiced such preposterous rituals out of a belief that we were avoiding and thus controlling the enemy pathogen we couldn't see. None of this will be forgotten. At least not soon. It's the trauma of our lives. They stole our freedom, our happiness, our way of life, and attempted to replace them all with a stern regime with Puritan sensibilities that rivaled the Taliban, forcing the whole population to hide their faces and live in fear of the American mandarins who then came after the whole population with needles and woefully vetted shots. But he says karma is already turning on the whole gang of coercive totalitarians here and abroad. While the virus is invisible, the people who dreamed up and enforced lockdowns and mandates who wrecked the country are highly visible. They have names and careers, and they are right to be very worried about their futures. The sociological basis of the Catholic institution of oracle confession is to habituate people into the psychologically most difficult practice of admitting error, asking forgiveness, and pledging not to do it again. Saying it out loud within earshot of others is harder still. Every religion has some version of this because doing so is part of becoming a responsible human being. He says the best approach is a simple word, sorry, so rare but so powerful. Why won't more follow the lead of, you know, Alberta's uh, new new prime minister or new uh, leader, Danielle Smith, and just say it? Well, he asks the right questions, doesn't he? And I have to wonder if, you know, I, maybe this is just hopium on my part. But I really hope that the people who are turning out and the candidates that they support will reflect this distrust, and I hope disdain for the people who tried to put us under their boots in the name of protecting us from COVID. 
I'm sorry, but uh, we we cannot allow such people to continue to hold power. By the way, a couple of quick articles, too, that you'll find in today's show notes. I'm very skeptical when you hear a politician start going on about threats to our democracy. But uh, I don't know if you've seen this. There's a new poll out. I believe it's from the New York Times. And, uh, yeah, it's a New York Times-Siena poll, which shows that uh, when you ask enough Americans about, uh, well, what is the greatest threat to our democracy? Do you know that uh, mainstream media, according to many poses <laughs> poses a major threat to democracy isn't that something 59% of the people questioned in this survey said that uh, one of the top threats to democracy is the mainstream media a major threat to democracy so i've been a skeptic before but i think actually i can get on board for this one i think they may be onto something also election integrity I heard a number of speakers yesterday in this meeting at the Twin Falls City Park talking about, you know, the importance of election integrity. And, and it's so curious to me. You have lieutenant governors, you have state or sorry, uh, county clerks that are super defensive about the idea. Oh, no, our elections are the gold standard. Why, everything is great. Because people ask questions. And of course, they, they call it the big lie. Anybody who says, well, I'm not sure I'd trust that, uh, that we know the truth about the 2020 election. Well, you're just participating in the big lie. You're trying to say the election was stolen. Got a great article here from Roger Kimball, who talks about not consensus, but truth. We need truth, not consensus, on what happened with the election, which means let's get uh, clear on what the word steal means. Let's talk about what consensus means. And he makes a very powerful case that, uh, you know what? People have every right to be concerned and even skeptical about what we're being told about these elections. You know, we know there are millions or potentially millions of harvested ballots that weren't verified as authentically reflecting the voting preference of a real voter. This isn't about, well, we got to get Trump back in power. This is about how far would the system go to protect its own interest at the expense of denying people the efficacy of their vote. I like how Roger Kimball puts it. He says, was the 2020 election stolen? Well, he says, maybe that's not quite the right word. But he says, uh, you know, what's, what's lunatic is not distrusting the election, but giving it a pass just because it produced the result that, you know, enough people wanted, especially in the media, especially in the power structure. I don't know. It's a great article. I hope you'll take the time to check it out. Also, and this is a big one. I'm, I'm including an article from Edward Curtin about uh, the last temptation of things. And maybe it's because uh, I've, I've been going through my mom right now. Um, she's 87 years old and, you know, she's not on death's door by any stretch, but she is definitely getting things in order. And that includes going through and categorizing all the things in her house and making sure that uh, she doesn't leave, uh, you know, a mess to be cleaned up. Because she's been collecting things. My dad died 33 years ago, and she's been collecting things, you know, ever since then. And, and, and this article by Edward Curtin talks about helping to clean out a friend's house. And he asks these questions. He says, let me tell you a story about a haunted house and all the thoughts it evoked in me. Do we believe we can save ourselves by saving things? Do our saved possessions come to possess their saviors? Do those who save many things or hoard believe that there are pockets in shrouds? 
Or do they collect these things as a magical protection against the shroud? Now, he refers to a story that uh, Leo Tolstoy wrote about how much land does a man need? And it ends with the answer, about six feet, just enough for your grave. This is a really powerful story as he talks about cleaning out his friend's house, goes through all the, you know, all the saved items. Nothing was ever thrown away. And I know if you've watched the show Hoarders, you probably think, oh, I know exactly what. But there's a mindset here that needs to be addressed. And sadly, you know, I see this in my own life. And that is, well, but I've got to hang on to this because I might need it someday. I think we put way too much importance on material things. And, and I'm just going to throw, throw this out there. I hope I'm wrong, even as I say this, but if there is a serious economic downturn in our near or immediate future, I think most of us are going to get a very interesting lesson, and we're going to know exactly how attached we are or were to our things. And for some people, it's going to be existential in terms of the, the kind of impact it will have on them. If I can't have my things, then uh, my life is not worth living. So I'm thinking it might not be a bad idea to get a grip ahead of time on what really is important versus what is just stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I have felt owned by my things on numerous occasions. Most often, whenever I'm packing up for a move, that is like, oh, this is misery. Why? Because I have too much stuff. I mean, how, how, talk about first world problems. What's your problem, dude? You look stressed. I have too much stuff. And I don't know what to do with it. Well, we'll get rid of some. I can't do that. I might need it someday. See, it's, it's this vicious cycle, and it just keeps repeating itself. I can tell you what works for me personally. And so far, I haven't gotten rid of all my stuff, but I've definitely pared back on a lot of it. What it really comes down to is every so often, I've got to ask myself, what matters? What am I focusing on? What's the real purpose behind what I'm doing or what I'm buying or what I'm bringing home? And more and more, I'm finding excuses to say, yeah, I really don't need that. Or if someone offers you something, hey, I've got this wonderful chair. I'd love for you to take it off my hands. Rather than thinking, I'm going to find a use for this someday. I just politely say, thank you for thinking of me, but no thanks. I'll leave that for the next person who's looking for, you know, something interesting. It really helps. This is The Brian Hyde Show.